0: Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today we're going to talk about one of the tricks that the mind often plays on us. And I will be the first to admit that it took me a really long time until I realized that my mind was capable of pulling tricks on me. (laughs) Like most people, I have a tendency, at least initially, to believe that all the thoughts that I have, anything that comes across my mind, that it is a reflection of truth or it is a reflection of what's actually going on or it reflects my personal identity or some of my experiences, when in truth it can actually just be lies, (laughs) straight-up lies. And I've often made the joke that while I am very blessed to have a strong imagination the way that I do, for example, I'm able to use my imagination not just to create the stories that I want to write or as a tool for play and expression, I also use my imagination to help visualize my goals, my direction, my ambitions. But at the same time, I'm certainly someone who, if I'm not in control of my imagination, it will create negative experiences and negative visualizations as well. So, not only will it offer me a beautiful compilation of ideas and stories, it will also offer me a compilation of the worst case scenarios. <laughs> That could possibly happen. That's the negative expression of my imagination, which is where it runs in the opposite direction. And instead of filling me with hope and excitement and possibility, it fills me with terror and anxiety and imaginings of what could possibly go wrong. And this idea of putting some distance between yourself and your thoughts is not new. It's not a new idea. In fact, it's pretty closely associated with mindfulness practices or contemplative practices. So if you've ever been someone who has dabbled in meditation or just dabbled in mindfulness, or if you're a very contemplative person, someone who looks at their thoughts on a regular basis, either through journaling or meditation, it's very possible that you've come across this idea that your thoughts are are just something that passes through your mind rather than actual factual data. This is also true if you've done any kind of cognitive behavioral therapy. In CBT, you would have also looked at how you can put distance between your thoughts and yourself, that there's a separate part of you who sees the thinking for what it is rather than you being the thoughts itself. But if you're not yet exposed to this idea or you're not yet sure what I mean when I say you are not your thoughts, for example, it might be really hard to understand what I'm saying when I'm like, your mind is lying to you. So let's start with how I realized my mind was lying to me. And in many of these episodes, I've talked about different things that have been fear triggers for me, but fear has been a very big teacher in my life. Often when I experience fear, I'm in the presence of some kind of large life lesson that I'm trying to digest. When I'm in a fearful state, when I am experiencing fear, it's very common for my mind to start spinning scenarios. And it could be just because I have a very analytical mind, so I'm always searching for solutions to problems. I'm always trying to figure out how to get to the other end of the tunnel, how to get out of the maze I have found myself in. So it's very strategic, it's very prone to planning and examining. But doing it from a very fearful place has a different flavor to it because it means that I'm looking for everything to go wrong. <laughs> I'm planning and I'm being proactive, but I'm doing it from this place of looking at everything that could possibly happen so that I can be ready for it. And it just feeds into this hypervigilance, hyperattention habit or mode that I've been trying to break for a very long time. And I'm able to do it on occasion, but it's definitely not something that I've mastered. And if you're like, me and you come from a background that has a great deal of trauma any kind of difficult or violent situation or just unpredictable people in your life, such as abusive parents or parents who struggle with drug or alcohol abuse issues or anything like that, you will have developed hypervigilance as a child as a means to keep yourself safe. Hypervigilance is when we're always scanning the environment, we're always looking for something to go wrong, we're always looking for ways to keep ourselves safe, and it just becomes an ingrained habit. And even if you're able to build as I have a entirely different life and an entirely different environment for yourself, it's still very possible that you will have a hard time shedding this habit of hypervigilance. You're still going to be looking for what can possibly go wrong, <laughs> even in your perfect life, as a means of self-preservation. That was the place where I started to see that oh I think my mind is actually wrong like I think it's actually lying to me and it came from that realization of the more I grew into this safer let's call it version of my life because no life is absolutely safe I'm not going to lie to you and say if you just do everything right your life will be perfect you'll have no problems nothing will fall out of place everything will just be lovely for you until the day that you die hopefully we know by now that that is not possible, that it's more realistic to aim for a life in which you are so confident in yourself and so loving and trusting in yourself and your abilities and you have built your resilience muscles to such a capacity that whatever happens you will be fine and you will be loved and you will be supported by yourself and the people around you. That's a more realistic (laughs) and satisfying goal to have in the end. But it wasn't until I started to move into that space where my life started to look very different than it had when I was a child. When I was a child, everything did go wrong and all of the time. And so my mind was very fearful. But when the environment started to look more like love and more like support and that the people around me were consistent and they were very kind and loving and affirming, and the troubles that I encountered were not crises, necessarily. They were just matters that I could easily handle, that they didn't require me to put on my full battle armor, (laughs) so to speak, and to react with the full wrath of my warrior-like form, when that would have been considered an overreaction, because my circumstances, while not perfect, were far from what they had been. It wasn't until I started having some of these experiences where, where my reaction didn't really align with what had happened. Like I would recognize that my reaction was very strong for the level of threat I was encountering, or I would get really fearful or worked up about something expecting the worst, but it would just pass by or it would just kind of naturally dissolve. It was in this discrepancy between my expectations and my emotional reaction, and then what would actually come to pass That made me realize that there's something going on here. There's some discrepancy. I'm obviously viewing the world one way, but it's playing out another way. And how can that be? How can it be that I'm expecting this, but that isn't what happens? Because in the past, my assessment of the world was just so accurate. If my mom was speaking a certain way, or looking a certain way, or dressing a certain way, I could accurately predict, even as a child, what might happen next. You know, that she's going to get drunk and disappear, or that she's going to bring some strange man home, or that there's going to be a fight. I could accurately guess what would happen next. And so I came to believe in the almost, let's call it, omniscience of my mind, based on these negative and abusive circumstances that i encountered as a child. And so when that no longer worked, when I was no longer quite so omniscient, let's say, it really forced me to stop and look at what was going on. Because to be so right, even though the circumstances were horrible, to be so right about something in the past, and now to be so inaccurate in my assessments, told me that there was something faulty about the machine I was using to make those assessments. And what is the, quote, machine? What is it that I was using to make these assessments about my environment? What was telling me this, quote, data? And the answer was my mind. My mind was giving me the impressions of these experiences that I was having. My mind was telling me, this is what's going to happen next. This is what you should do next. The way in which I would feel emotionally or how I'd react to a situation was based on what my mind was telling me. And as those reactions and those thoughts became more and more misaligned, It made me really question how accurate my mind was. And you may find that that's true for you as well. And it doesn't have to be a long-term situation. So for me, I didn't begin to notice the differences between my life now and my life in the past until many years after I had left it. And I had developed this muscle, this awareness of scanning my environment or just kind of watching what would happen. Because the more we do awareness meditation, the more we become open to what's actually happening rather than trying to predict what will happen. Then we can see how things are playing out differently. It took me some time to be able to develop the muscles that could do that. To use the practices, the ones I'm always advocating to you guys, the mindfulness practices, the meditations, the journaling. It took me a while to get those muscles Let's call them in fighting shape, (laughs) so to speak. And it was reinforced by this idea that I just had such a strong back catalog of negative experiences that I just came to expect certain things from people. I just came to expect certain experiences, even though they had changed. And so I'm telling you all of this because depending on the experiences that you've had in your past, depending on what you're going through now or have been through, is going to determine the degree in which you identify with your mind. So if you've had a lot of really difficult experiences, you're going to really believe your mind and what it's telling you, because there was probably a point where your mind, your thoughts, your expectations, are what kept you safe. And why would you distrust that if that's what was keeping you safe? But the reality is, is that the mind is not always accurate. It doesn't always see things clearly. It might be working hard to protect you, it might be working hard to keep you safe in a difficult circumstance or in a difficult environment, but your mind is prone to catastrophizing, meaning looking for the worst of something, the worst possible outcome, and it's also prone to fear. It's easily agitated by fear, the mind. And so when you start building a life that is more loving, more beautiful, more trusting, How do you disidentify with the mind enough that you can allow those changes in so that you can allow your thoughts to relax, so that you can allow yourself to live in a different way and not always be triggered by the thoughts that you're having, not always be thinking, oh my gosh, how is this going to go wrong? And that takes a bit of work to disidentify with the mind and with the thoughts that you're having. But here are some strategies that helped me to make that transition. And again, I have not perfected this, so it's something I'm still very much working on, but I'll just tell you what I'm doing now that's helping me to build distance. So first and foremost, awareness. As I mentioned, awareness is key to me recognizing that it's happening. And the thing that I'll usually become aware of first is a crushing fear. (laughs) (laughs) That's like squeezing me to death. it's usually fear in me something will have triggered my fear and I'm feeling really anxious and I'm really worried about something and then I have to recognize that that's happening either because I've got tension in my body or because I'm acting in a way that shows me that the anxiety is present maybe I'll start chewing my nails which is the absolute worst I was a really bad nail biter in high school and I broke myself of the habit but every once in a while I'll just catch myself and I'm like ah that's the anxiety So I know that when I'm doing that, there's something happening under the surface that is almost preverbal, meaning that I don't even know what the thoughts are that are triggering that. That I'm feeling that it's just so ingrained in me that it started to happen. The process of becoming fearful of something, of making my calculations, of making my plans, of trying to figure out how I'm going to get past something or over something or through something. That that's happening in the background, even without me being aware of it, because my body is giving me these signs, these tells. Your emotions might be. What allows you to recognize that something's happening? Your physical actions. So if you start picking at something or you start chewing on your finger whatever, we have these nervous tics, right? And they're going to be different for everybody. So whichever yours are, you'll know what they are. Emotions, physical tells. There's also nightmares for me if I start having what I call stress dreams. (laughs) So I'll go to bed thinking I'm pretty good, but then I'll have horrible sleep all night. Usually they're dreams where I'm trying to drive a car and the car keeps getting flooded or it breaks down or the car spins out of control. It's like the steering wheel is possessed or something. Usually that tells me that something is going on with me <laughs> emotionally because <laughs> I don't have those dreams when I'm not stressed. Another one that I've heard people talk about. Oh, goodness. What did my friend say? Oh. She always dreams about her teeth falling out when she's super stressed. So there's probably a stress dream that you have. It may even have specific themes like your teeth falling out or your car is out of control or broken. That's another sign to you that something's going on under the surface, that your thoughts are running rampant, but maybe you're not aware of it. And so when you catch yourself, that is your opportunity to start building this distance. Because again, it's a muscle. You have to build this muscle that helps you to push the space between you and your thoughts. And if you've ever done any kind of meditation, if you've even sat in meditation for five minutes in your life and you've practiced labeling, which I've mentioned before, there's a labeling meditation where you're sitting here and you're just breathing and you're just looking at your mind, whatever comes up for you. And so it might be You start thinking about all the things you need to do in the day and you're planning and you're strategizing and you're like, that's me thinking, that's me planning. And so even for you to recognize that there's a distance there between your thoughts, which is the thinking and the planning and the scheming, and then you the true you, the observant you, who can see that? Because if it was you, you couldn't see yourself in your own mind, right? There's this distance. Who is the you that can see it, right? You're seeing something that is outside of yourself. And how can you do that if there was not some distance between you and your thoughts? And so that is the muscle that we have to build, our distance between us and our thoughts. So that when thoughts come up or thoughts trigger feelings, it's not that they're not there. Of course they are. It's part of the human experience, but it's viewed at a distance. It's a bit of distance between you and those thoughts, which is what you want because that means anytime a strong emotion arises or anytime these racing, anxious thoughts arise, there's space between you. You're not going to feel suffocated by it. It's not going to take you over and stress you out because you're going to be looking at it as if it's something else, as if it belongs to someone else. You're going to be like, yeah, I see that anxiety over there, not bothering me. <laughs> because it's over there. And that's one of the many benefits of disidentifying with your thoughts. So you can achieve that distance through mindful meditation, practicing any kind of mindfulness practices where you are observing what's going on in your environment, you're doing things slowly, maybe you're taking a walk and you're observing your steps, your thoughts. So any mindfulness practice, any meditation practice, you're just observing what's happening, you're observing what's coming and going, if it's thoughts that you're working with or you're listening to your breath. You're just acknowledging the presence of these things in your life. If you're working with thoughts in particular, I've gotten a lot of good meditation advice on thinking and labeling from Pima Chodron. So again, I encourage you to go listen to her work if you're interested more on meditation. I am not a full-time practitioner of meditation. It's something that I use every day, but there are better teachers out there for that, is what I'm saying. (laughs) But sometimes I have great success just by acknowledging what's happening. Like, I am experiencing a feeling, and I don't like that. I am having a thought. About this labeling it like that lets me know that it's something that's happening so again it's putting a label on it which creates a distance between me and the experience itself another thing that has built distance for me is questioning my thoughts so I bring this up a lot in the episode where I talk about my fears around money when I was a child we had difficult circumstances especially when I was living with my mother in which I was always fearful of not having enough there was scarcity issues for sure in the home and in my life. And so I have a lot of fears around money about not having enough, not being able to take care of myself, not having enough to eat or not being able to pay a bill. And so I have a lot of fears that come up around that. And there came a point where I had to just ask myself, like, are you actually going to be homeless tomorrow? This might've been something that could happen in the past, but is it gonna happen now? Think about this. Question these thoughts that you're having. Like, are they actually accurate? Are they actually based on any evidence in your life that could be validated (laughs) or proven or are they just fears that you have irrational negative thinking these patterns that you're indulging in because you have done so habitually to keep yourself safe in the past and so questioning your thoughts so if you have a thought such as oh my god no one ever loves me and they never will challenge that like is that true what experience have you had that's made that true and just because you might have had one or two or ten experiences that made that true in the past how do you know that that's going to be true tomorrow how do you know that that's true today And so challenging these thoughts that you're having. I also learned quite a bit, as I mentioned, in cognitive behavioral therapy. My first therapist was a CBT therapist. So it was very much about restructuring my mind to be more suspicious of the thoughts and the feelings that I have. Not to reject them. We don't want to reject ourselves for any reason. But just being like, why are you here? And what are you saying? And should I believe you? (laughs) Rather than just assuming that because you think it, it's true. And because you feel it, it's true. When that's not always accurate, it might just be you're thinking and feeling something because of these old residual experiences that you've had, this old residue that's lingering in your mind and in your emotions. And then, of course, as always, be nice to yourself as much as you can be in these situations, being compassionate of, yes, I think these things, and yes, I feel these things. And yes, I found myself absolutely believing they're true, even though my fears are lying to me, my anxiety is lying to me. I'm still absolutely identifying with it. But that's okay, because I needed this tool in the past in order to stay safe, and I'm going to get stronger and grow out of this. And I'm not going to beat myself up in the process while I'm doing it. So the biggest thing I just want you to take away from today is that next time you feel yourself thinking really dark or negative or difficult thoughts, and you feel all these emotions rising up in your body, I just want you to take a breath and ask yourself, is this really true? Like this whole feeling and thought process that's overtaking me right now, is it possible that my mind is just lying to me because it's trying to keep me safe and it wants me to get fearful and get afraid because it thinks that that's going to push me to protect myself. When maybe what I don't need in this moment is to protect myself. What I need is to be open and loving to the great experiences that are trying to happen in my life. And that's it for today, dear human. I hope that you found this episode useful. And if you did and you want to let me know, or you would like to write into the show to ask me some questions about something that you're dealing with, I would love to hear from you through any of my social media or at corey at coreymschum.com. And otherwise, I will be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For-Human, and until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For-Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.